right, good morning. We are in our next part of our series, Famous Last Words. And if you have been with us any of the previous weeks, we were looking at the last words that Jesus Christ spoke while he was on the cross. And we're going to shift that a little bit this morning and look at some other famous last words um, as it relates to our risen Lord and Savior. But today I would like to address one question. Why should anyone believe in Jesus? I think it's a valid question. Why should anyone believe in Jesus? If you have listened to the radio, watched TV, read the newspapers, any time over the last 10, 12, you know, I'd say 10, 20, 30 years, you will see these skeptics. You know, Christianity a lot of times is not held in the highest regard. In fact, a lot of times people who believe in a Christian faith are ridiculed. The object of ridicule by skeptics in politics, TV, and legal circles, and these powerful circles of influence give the appearance that there is no valid reason to believe in a resurrected Jesus. So the question is, are they right? Are they right? For our own faith and the faith of others, it is critical for us to give a reason why we believe in Jesus. And so my goal with today's sermon is to give you some sound reasons to believe in Jesus through the story of the resurrection. And let me begin by reading you eight words from the Bible, words that capture the central reason why anyone should believe in Jesus. These words were spoken by an angel to a small group of broken-hearted women. These women had just returned from the tomb a few days earlier. Their master, their savior, their cherished friend Jesus, this is where he had been buried. But now his body, as they approached the tomb, the stone was rolled away and his body was no longer there. It was missing. And these women didn't know where the body was taken. And in the midst of their grief, and in the midst of their confusion, Scripture tells us in Matthew that an angel appeared to them. And the heart of his message were eight powerful words. I would say the most powerful words the world has ever heard. Let's look at these. Matthew chapter 28, verse 6. The angel told the women, He is not here, for he is risen. He is not here, for he is risen. Words with profound implications. Telling of the first and only person in all of history who had conquered death. These words conveyed an actual idea totally contrary to mankind's belief in an absolute permanence and finality of death. Yet the angel proclaimed to these grieving women what was impossible for man was accomplished by God. He is not here, for he is risen. So for 20 centuries... The world has wrestled with these eight words. They have wrestled with this 
resurrection story. The greatest attacks on Christianity have been against the resurrection, and for good reason. Believers and non-believers alike understand that this resurrection story, it is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. If Jesus rose from the dead, then Christianity is true. If he did not, then it is false. It's that simple. The resurrection story is the cornerstone of our faith. So the question of whether we can or should believe in Jesus is dependent upon whether the resurrection actually happened. Are the eight words of the angel true? Did Jesus really die and come back to life? Is there evidence to support our belief in the resurrection? So let's briefly consider what's at stake because the implications, they are huge. If the resurrection did happen, then it proves that Jesus has power over death. Jesus has power over death. No one else in the history of the world has been able to conquer death except Jesus. Number two, you can personally trust him with your personal destiny because he predicted and fulfilled his own resurrection. You can trust the promise he made to you about his intention to raise those of us who believe in him from the dead because if he can raise himself, he can raise you as well. Number three, if the resurrection did happen, all other religions are false. We've all heard someone say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. I think we've all heard that before, but that's not true. I can be sincere and still be absolutely wrong. I can be sincere that an airplane I'm flying will land just fine, and sometimes some of you that have a fear of flying, you may have to tell yourself to get in the plane. It's going to go up. It's going to come down. I'm going to be absolutely okay. I've sat next to some of those people who, who struggle with airplanes. Some of you guys are laughing because that might be you. You can have the sincerest belief in the world that the plane is going to come down, but if maybe one of the wheels doesn't come down out of the, the landing gear doesn't come down, you won't land safely. No matter how sincere your belief is, that plane is going to land okay. Either Jesus, either he rose from the dead, or he did not. Sincerity is irrelevant. If Jesus claimed to be the only way to God, which he did multiple times, then his rising from the dead is the stamp of approval from a completely truthful God saying that Jesus is, in fact, the only way to heaven. He is the only way. On the flip side, though, if the resurrection did not happen, so those are the implications for it if it did. If it did not happen, Paul tells us the implications if the resurrection did not happen. He told us in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. He's basically saying Jesus is a liar and at a minimum, he was a lunatic. If if the resurrection is not true. Christianity is false. 
if he did not raise from the dead. Number three, you have wasted your life in believing in Jesus' supposed ability to save you from death. Man, those are some pretty strong implications. You see here, there's really no middle ground. Either Jesus is who he says he is, or the claims that he made would make him an absolute raging lunatic madman. There's no middle, oh, I just think he was a great teacher, he was a rabbi, this is... We like to think that we can fall in this like gray middle ground here. There's no gray middle ground. Either you follow him for who he says that he was, or you completely reject his teaching. There's a lot at stake here. So did he rise from the dead? To answer our question, we need to examine two things. We need to examine the evidence for the resurrection And then we also need to examine the best of the false theories against the resurrection. So the evidence for the resurrection, we do not have a blind faith. God does not ask us to believe things for which there is no evidence. We do not have a blind faith this morning. But instead, he has graciously given to us an abundance of evidence. In John chapter 14 He adds to this saying, after the meeting with the angels, that Jesus revealed himself to the women. There were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. So let's examine the evidence. The first evidence is the empty tomb. You would expect that if the resurrection occurred, then the tomb must be empty, right? Of course. But is the empty tomb enough evidence by itself to convince us that Jesus rose from the dead? The answer is no. Neither the empty tomb nor the testimony of the women by themselves convince the apostles themselves. You know, today the eyewitness testimony of women is good evidence. But unfortunately in ancient Israel, the testimony of a woman would not even stand up in court. The women were convinced, but the disciples needed more proof, proof that they will get. So we see first is the empty tomb. I have been to Jerusalem and I have seen the empty tomb with my own eyes. Second thing is the examine of the evidence, the change in the disciples' attitudes after the resurrection. Before the resurrection, they were cowards. They were cowards. You look at Peter. The night before, when he's in the, high, the courtyard of the high priest and he's confronted three times, what does he do? He denies knowing Jesus three times, and one of them to a young girl. They were absolute cowards. They all fled when Jesus was arrested, none of them standing up for him. They were afraid of being killed. They were afraid of being identified with Jesus, but after the resurrection, what changed? They were fully committed, boldly claiming Jesus' resurrection in the presence of his enemies. So what caused such a radical change in their attitudes? Was it the empty tomb? Was it the testimony of the women who talked to the angels? The Bible tells us in John 20, verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So here we have them cowering in fear. Jesus has died. They're afraid to be identified with him. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace 
be to you. So they have the locked doors in the room and Jesus appears in the room and he has to tell them, peace be to you, to probably calm their nerves. Just imagine Jesus appearing behind a locked door. They'd probably be a little freaked out. I know I would be. When he had said this, he showed them his hands where the nails had been. He showed them his side that had been pierced with a sword. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They saw him, a resurrected Jesus, with their own eyes. No other explanation can account for such a turnaround in their behavior to the point where every single one of the disciples died a martyr's death for this belief that the resurrection was true. Scattering throughout the known world, Thomas going to, to India, many of the rest of them going to the parts of the known world, going up to Russia, going to the Slavic states, carrying this message that this resurrected Jesus is alive. History tells us the writer, history, historian writers tell us that Peter refused to recant this story. And they told him, we will crucify you. And he said, I am not worthy to die like my Lord. And so they crucified him upside down. So is their change in attitude good evidence that they, in fact, saw him alive? Absolutely. Because we see, number three, that the disciples, their willingness to suffer. Nothing shows others the sincerity of your beliefs more than your willingness to suffer and sacrifice for it. And the disciples suffered for their testimony that Jesus had been risen from the dead. Whippings, stonings, hunger, shipwreck, beatings, crucifixion, imprisonment. They could have easily avoided all of this if they had just been quiet. But see, what they had seen and what they knew to be true, they could not stay silent. They could not stay silent. They personally saw him. So number four, it gave them the willingness to die. As if a willingness to suffer years of persecution was not enough evidence of the apostles' conviction to the risen Christ, the Bible and church history gives us confirmation of their willingness to die for the resurrection. Some people might suffer and die for what they believe to be true, but no one in religious history has ever willingly died for something they knew to be false. The apostles could have denied the resurrection and saved themselves, but they knew it was true and therefore considered this life to be of little importance compared to the message of a resurrected Savior. If the disciples knew the resurrection was a lie, would they have died for it? Of course not. They saw him with their own eyes. They touched his nail-scarred hands and his nail-scarred 
feet. And that accounted for their change in attitude, their willingness to suffer, their willingness to die as martyrs, to prove to the world that the resurrection really did happen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. None of us saw Jesus. No one in this room has seen Jesus after the resurrection. We weren't there, but the apostles' faith in the resurrection is our evidence of something we were not there to see, namely the truth that Jesus conquered death. The 180 degree change in the apostles. We've seen the evidence supporting the resurrection. Now let's see what arguments the skeptics can throw up against it. The best of the false arguments against the resurrection. To deny the resurrection, these arguments must do several things. Give a reasonable explanation for the existence of the church other than the resurrection of Jesus. How has the church, through persecution, continued to thrive and spread around the world. Give a rational explanation as to why the apostles believed and explain what happened to Jesus' body if he didn't rise from the dead. This is what these theories have to explain, which they can't. We'll see that. Number one, here's the first theory. The Jesus fainted theory or argument. Now, the fainting theory, here's what it suggests. That Jesus did not actually die on the cross. He simply fainted on the cross. The soldiers thought he was dead, so they took him down from the cross. They put him in the tomb, and the cool air of the tomb revived him. He was able to, after being brutally beaten with whips, with the what they called the cat of nine tails, which was a whip that had shards of rock, and glass and other nasty things in it that were wrapped to this whip that they whipped his body, pulling the flesh off of his back. Then him carrying the cross to Calvary. Then him being nailed to a cross where the most gruesome thing about the cross is you have the nails in your hands and your feet. And as you sink down, you can't catch your breath. And to catch a breath, you have to grip those nails and pull yourself up. To breathe. But they think that throughout all of that, this air in the tomb revived his body. He was able to then move a huge stone that was probably over 2,000 pounds covering the tomb, move it away, take over the Roman guards in his beat up body, and then go to his disciples who believed that he had conquered death with this terrible, ugly body that had beaten. Sounds possible? No. I don't think so. There are huge problems with that theory that Jesus fainted on the cross, notwithstanding the pure speculation without a shred of historical evidence to back that up. It's not believable because of several reasons. Jesus' physical condition, which we just discussed, During the crucifixion, his hands and his feet are pierced with heavy nails. And a Roman soldier, scripture says, stabbed him in the side to ensure that he was dead. 
And we're supposed to believe that someone in this condition in need of desperate medical attention convinced his followers that he conquered death by just fainting on the cross? No. The next problem with this theory is the Roman soldiers themselves. We know from history that Roman soldiers were killing machines. They knew how to kill, skilled at inflicting death. And I mentioned that one of them put a spear into Jesus' side to make sure that he was dead. And there was a reason for that, because in ancient Rome, if a Roman soldier took a criminal off the cross before he was dead, that soldier themselves would then be put on the cross as an act of punishment. So you know that those soldiers would be absolutely sure that man was dead before removing him from the cross. Number three, another problem, the final problem with this argument is the tomb itself. This argument would have us to believe while Jesus fainted, while he was on the cross and he was revived in the tomb, the cool air revived him, then he took off his grave clothes, found the tomb opening in the dark, rolled the 2,000 pound stone away, fought off the Roman guards, walked on his spiked feet, found the apostles, and then in his tortured Horribly disfigured condition proves to them that he had conquered death. Who would believe in a Jesus in that kind of condition? No one. No one. So it doesn't hold any weight that Jesus fainted on the cross. Number two, here's another theory. People look for Jesus in the wrong tomb theory. This theory can be dismissed very quickly because of what would be necessary for that to be true. Let's follow the logic here. Jesus is laid in the tomb. The gospel tells us at various places that everyone in the city knew which tomb that he was put into. The women knew, the apostles knew, the Jewish leaders knew, and the Romans knew, and the Romans put guards outside of his tomb for fear that his followers might come and steal the body. Everybody knew. Everybody knew the tomb that Jesus was laid. But this theory would have us believe that the women went to the wrong tomb on that Easter Sunday morning. The disciples went to the wrong tomb. The Jewish leaders went to the wrong tomb. The soldiers were guarding the wrong tomb. Did no one remember where Jesus was buried? Come on now. Let's follow that logic. Then to top it all off, no one looked in any other tomb? I mean, it's kind of crazy. Certainly, if there was any question about which tomb it was, the Jews and the Romans would have opened up every other tomb in the area to look for Jesus, but there is no historical evidence that that ever took place. But they didn't because they knew the tomb in which he had been buried. The fact that no one else searched the other tombs is all the evidence we need to dismiss this theory. Last theory, and this is the most popular one, is that the disciples stole the body theory. And this theory can also be dismissed very quickly. If they had stolen the body, would the disciples have suffered and died? Again, I ask you this question for something they knew to be false. If they stole the body, would they leave the comfort of their home, their family, their culture to go to the ends of the earth for something they knew to be a lie. 
No. No, they would not. That theory is also nonsense. So I believe in the story of the resurrection because all of the evidence points to be true that Jesus rose from the dead and because he conquered death, I can trust his claims about eternal life to be true. You see, the Old Testament for hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus predicted his birth, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, all of those coming true. If a lack of evidence has stopped you from putting trust in Jesus with your soul and with your future, I hope my words today have helped you see that there is overwhelming evidence to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. And not just the Son of God, but the living Son of God. He is alive today. That's why we sing these songs that we sing on Sunday morning. We worship a risen Savior. You know, Jesus says to become a follower of him, he said you must Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus up from the dead. You know, it's my desire here this morning that everyone would know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And a lot of times, the thing that holds people back from making that decision to become a follower of Jesus is different areas of their life, things that they're holding on to that's stopping them from giving their life to Christ. And I tell you, if that is the case, there is no amount of evidence that I can give you today that will change that. It's a heart problem. You're saying, I desire to follow all of these destructive things in my life more than I'm willing to follow the God of the universe, who is living. If this is you today, God says, repent and believe. Repent and believe that I am alive, that I came through Jesus, died upon a cross for your sin, for my sin, every single person in this room, every single person that has ever walked the face of the earth, we've all been infected with the virus. And that virus is called sin. And the only cure for that virus is Jesus. He is the cure for our sin. Confess to God that you are a sinner, unable to save yourself, and he will come and save you. Accept the fact that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin, and he rose from the dead as proof that he will save those who believe in him. And that includes you, but only if you put your faith and trust in him for salvation. Only this way can you experience the sweet forgiveness of a God who loves you. A God who suffered 
the horrors of a cross, who willingly went to that cross because he loved you that much. I love the name or the, the songwriter who penned the words, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He was there for you. Won't you accept his offer of salvation? Let's pray. Thank you.